Thank God for that. There's some who had a pretty good dad. There's some who had a dad that didn't do all that well. There's some who had a dad that was distant or absent or abusive. So, so we come into this, we came into being a dad with this wide spectrum of experience about the role model we had as a dad. And then I recognize among us dads, we have a wide spectrum of season of life. I know some dads here have newborns, some have infants, some have toddlers, some elementary age, some preteen, some teens, some adults. And I, I found myself thinking throughout the week, if I could only talk to you one group at a time, if I have just, just the dads of toddlers, we could laser in. I could talk about just what it's like to be a dad at that stage and talk about how you could be an influence at that stage, but, but I don't have that privilege. There's this wide, wide spectrum. And then I realized, too, that among us dads, I realized that there's some dads in this room that feel like they've done a decent job so far. And I realized there's some dads in this room that feel like they've done a really bad job thus far. There's this spectrum. But I found myself realizing, yet we still have so much in common as dads. Every single one of us wants to be a good dad. Every single one of us. Every single one of us loves our children and wants what's best for them. Every single one of us, while we want what's best for them, there are many times we don't know what's best. We're at a loss of what's best. And, and I realize as well that, that every single one of us dads, looking back on how we've done so far, feels like we know, we know we could have done better. Every one of us. So as a dad who now has, I'm in the learning process, 31 years and counting as a dad, I want to teach out of that, and I want to take this key passage that God gives us out of Scripture and, and speak to us as dads wherever we're at in the spectrum of that. And the passage is Proverbs 22.6. I'll read it in a moment. But um, Mark Hale's vision was the inspiration for this passage and this focus. A few months back, Mark Hale said that uh, his, his idea was to have his little son Jackson, who's three years old, who plays drums really well. I'd heard him many times before. His son Jackson and maybe some of the other band members, sons and daughters, help lead in worship. And when I first heard that, I thought, that, is, that is, has to be from God. Like to see dads and their kids up here and to see how, how they're pouring into their kids. And I know these dads and they're... they're um, trying to influence their kids to know and love Jesus. And, and they're teaching their kids, you can make a difference even now. And, and so when I heard Mark's vision for this, Proverbs 22, 6 stuck in my mind. And this will be our focus for us dads today. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is older, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he, he's older, he will not depart from it. So I want to talk first about the first line of that, train up a child. And I want to say this to us dads, training our children is one of our main jobs to shape our children's lives, to mold their lives, to direct their lives, to give some direction to them as they go is, is one of our main roles as a dad. And I want to say this also, this is extremely important. All of us dads, we, we greatly underestimate the influence we have on our children. We greatly underestimate the influence. That's especially true if you have teenagers or if you have adult children. In the teenage years, this is almost always true. If it's not true in your case, please don't tell us because we will hate you for it. But this is almost always true. In the teenage years, as a dad, as you're trying to speak into their lives and mold their lives and train them in life, almost always for some season of time, it will appear they're not even listening. It will appear that they don't care. It, it may appear they don't really think you have any wisdom to share. And you can go through long, long stretch and think, 
I am making no difference at all, no influence at all. You can go into the adult years when they are adults, and you're thinking, I have nothing left to share. I have no further influence in their life, and and that is so incorrect. We always underestimate the influence we have as dads, especially in those teenage and those adult years. And then I want to also say this, is it's never too late to make a difference. If, like me and the other dads, you're thinking, I could have done better, I could have done better, it's never too late to make a difference in training. And I'll come back and talk about, illustrate what training looks like, but I want to move to the second part of what Proverbs says before I do that. It says, train up a child in the way he or she should go. I've been thinking about the things we have to train our kids, and it is virtually everything. We have to train them to brush their teeth, have to train them to tie the shoes, have to train them to say thank you and please, and, and on and on and on. In fact, Marie pulled out last night. She's made this scrapbook of some of uh, the history of our family, and she had put in it a sheet that we actually had up in our kitchen for some long season. This was actually when we had a 9-year-old and a 12-year-old. And so we actually had, these were the things we were training them on at that time, some of the things. And as I read these things, you can tell what the problem areas were as you hear this. No talking back or arguing with parents was top of the list. No disrespect or discourteous language. No fighting or bickering. Complete chores without complaining. Come to dinner without complaining. Help dad with lawn without complaining. Can you see a a thread that's running through that? A little problem with complaining then? Shoes must be correctly stored in garage. That may seem odd, but there was this season where shoes were who knew where in the kingdom of God. They were any place. And so there was this training, put your shoes one spot. You can find them, we can find them. Um, On and on and on. Uh, Pay attention when spoken to, look into the person's eyes and respond. I mean, that was this season of life, and we were laughing about it last night, reflecting upon, there was this endless number of things to teach our children. And I realized, and actually early on, this began to become so clear, there are so many things to train our children are, it would be so easy to get lost in the weeds and maybe do a good job training them about some things that were important, but less so than others. It'd be so easy to lose the forest for the trees and get some little things done that were important, that mattered, but miss the big things. I have this uh, calendar that it has a weekly famous quote from different people. And the person that compiled the calendar had put this quote in there. And they deemed this to be really important, a lot of wisdom to share. And apparently there was this famous man named Bruce Barton who was reflecting upon the same thing that Marie and I had a long time ago. And that I had as a dad about like how with all of the thousands upon thousands of things to teach what matters most. And so this quote says from Bruce Barton, If you give your son or daughter only one gift, let it be enthusiasm. And I read that, and I thought, I value enthusiasm a lot. In fact, I hope I have enthusiasm about the right things, and I love people with enthusiasm. But I found myself thinking, is that, if you could give your child one thing, is it really enthusiasm? I mean, my goodness, we had a Labrador retriever named Biscuit, and God gave her only one thing. It was enthusiasm. But he didn't give her a brain. You you knock on the skull and it's hollow and the enthusiasm was cute for a little while, but it becomes so aggravating. Is enthusiasm really the one thing you would give? Is that the one thing that you would give? And I found myself thinking through our culture and the pull that I have felt 
and that I've seen you as dads feel as well. And there are two major pulls that would lead us to think that something is the main thing that could end up being tragic if that is the main thing for them. One of the pulls is the pull to train up our children to be a success. The pull to train up our child to have this mindset of you've you got to succeed in school. You've got to succeed in sports or, or music. You've got to succeed and get a, a certain status job. You have to make a certain amount of money. You have to live in a certain neighborhood. You have to have a certain social status. And, and there can be this pull that says, I need to train my child. So in the end of the day, that's true for them. And so many times as a dad, I have felt that pull come back again and again. And it's so subtle. Many times as a parent, as a dad, raising our child, our children through those school age years, it'd be very subtle. I'd find myself drifting back into just to parent them, to train them, just to succeed, just to succeed. And doing well in school and well in sports and getting a good job and having a nice house, there's nothing at all wrong with those things. But if that does indeed become the main thing in one's life, it is tragic. It is tragic. The other pull is this. And I've heard this a thousand times from great parents who love their kids. And that is that I just want my child to be happy. The core drive is how can I shape and train this child just so they will be happy. Where happiness is the end goal, it's the end desire. And I recognize so well, thinking back when our boys were six years old, I know what could make them happy. Just put them in a candy store. And they'd be happy for a little while, but not too long. I knew what would make our boys happy at 16, just buy them a brand new BMW. They'd be happy for a little while, but there's something about this drive, and there's, we certainly want our children to be happy, we hope, but if, if that's the object, it eludes them. If the pursuit is happiness, happiness will elude them, and in the end, it's tragic. Here, here's some good news, dads, for us, is that these sons or daughters that you and I have, they're not really our sons and daughters. God says they're really his sons and daughters, and they're on loan to us. The two sons that, that I have, they're not really my sons, they're really God's sons, and they're on loan to me. And the sons or daughters that you have, they're not really your sons or daughters, they're God's sons or daughters. And God's already laid out very clearly what matters most. There was a man that came to Jesus, and in his culture, actually in his faith, he had a list of 626 things to do right in life. And he was holding that list of 626 for himself and thinking, to do right in life, I got to do all of these. And then he probably had kids and thinking, well, how do I train my kids? Because I can't even do the 626. And he comes to Jesus and says, I, I, here's my concern. What if I get 500 right, but in the 126 I don't get right? What if the, the main thing is in those 126? So he said, would you just tell me what the most important one is. What's the main thing? So Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus says, here's the main thing. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, above all else, okay, the other 625, there's value in all of those, but you have to know this, above all else, in God's viewpoint, the thing that matters most is love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus, other places, he spells out what that looks like to love God. It's not this hand-waving, mushy thing at all. In John chapter 14, he lays this out. In John 14, 6, he says, I 
am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He was saying there's no other access to God. He's saying not only can you not love God other than through me, you can't even know God. He said, unless you come through me, Jesus, God the Son, then you can't have a shot at loving God because you don't even know God. And then in John 14, verse 15, a little later on, he says, you know what? He says, if you love me, me, God the Son, and if you want to love God the Father, if you love me, you will obey me. And he's saying obedience when you love me. Obedience is an expression of love. And he's laying out this model that is explicitly said many places in Scripture. He's saying to, to come to faith in me as God the Son, you have to surrender to my leadership. That's what obedience becomes. You have to surrender. And through me, then, there's this relationship with God the Father. Then you can love God the Father. And the deepest expression of that love is just obedience. It's, it's these acts of obedience to express love to him. And out of that, he would say, and God would say in Scripture, when you surrender your life to the Son, Jesus, there is complete forgiveness given to you as a dad or to, to your son or daughter. There is relationship with God the Holy Spirit is given, and heaven is your destiny or their destiny. You get everything. You get everything. Jesus said, this is what matters most, dads. Train your child above all else to love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he could have stopped there. Because to love God, Scripture says, if you really love God, then you're going to end up loving people. But he wanted to make that very clear. So he says to this man, he says, I've given you number one, but I'm going to give you number two as well. And number two is this, is love people. The other 624, there's value in all of those. He's saying you've got to know number one and number two. Number one, you've got to love God. If you want to get what matters most, love God with everything within you. And secondly, love people. Love people. As a dad, um, and this may be of help to you dads, it helped me as a dad to make my list a little bit longer because there are thousands of things to train. And as a dad, maybe it's the way I'm wired, I was a little bit concerned if I only had my eyes on love God, love people, that somehow I would get lost in this mushy cloud of sitting out and gazing at the clouds and loving God and love people and smoke whatever kind of thing as a dad. And so, and so this helped, and these are things that God wants of every single son and daughter of his. This helped to actually put these down as well. I'll give you two of them. We actually ended up with a total of six, kind of love God, love people. Two of these might help you dads as well. Then we put down, we also wanted them to become a productive member of society. We knew it was God's plan that as one of his sons, one of his daughters, that they would become a productive member of society, that however he wired them, whatever giftedness he gave them, somehow they would, they would contribute to society in some fashion according to the gifts and abilities and wirings they had. We knew that was true, and it helped me as a dad to put that down. A second thing helped as well. We knew that God wanted, as a son or daughter, for them to be a difference maker for God. And what I had to keep in mind was I had to remember, above all else, the trump card was to love God. And I couldn't let trying to train each of our sons to be a productive member of society, I couldn't let that begin to trump training them to love God or love people. It was this constant effort to remind myself again and again and again. While I'm training them, yes, to be a productive member of society, which is God wants. So I'm training them to be a difference maker for God. Above all else, I needed to remember again and again, week in, week out, to train them most of all to love God and then train them to love people. So 
So train up a child in the way he should go. Again, predominantly love God, love people. So how do we train? Dads, how do we train? You know this, first of all, most of all, we model. We model for our children. Your life speaks much more than your words. I have an older brother who is 62 years old and our dad's been in heaven for 20 years. And to this day, when I watch my older brother walk when he's ahead of me, he walks just like my dad walked. It's so cool. I see my older brother, and I see my dad in him. And literally, physically, he walks like my dad walked. And it's so cool. It's like I, I get this picture of my dad you know, back 20-plus years ago. And it's not just in the literal way that, that our children tend to walk like a dad looks. It's in every other way. Our kids will tend to walk like we walk. How we model is our biggest teaching training tool. If we want to teach our kids to mow the lawn, we, we show them by how we do it. If we want our kids to speak kindly to their mother, we show them by how we speak kindly to their mother. If we want them to love God, then we show them what it looks like in our life to love God. And I found myself thinking this week again and again, because this is true, how much do I love God? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do I love God? Is it with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And I knew I needed to pose to you as dads as well for you to ask the question before God, how much do I love God on a scale of 1 to 10? And you have to know this, according to Jesus and all of Scripture, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you're not on the 1 to 10 scale. It's just zero, Jesus said, apart from surrender to me, you can't even know God, let alone love God. It's just zero. And if you know God through Jesus, then the question is, how much, one to ten, do you love God? And I found myself yearning. And I hope you do too, dads. I found myself yearning to love him more. And I thought about the ways and the places that often happens. So let me touch on those. One of them is doing just what you're doing today. You've come to a Sunday worship service, and there's a chance to worship God and lift your voice in praise or your mind in praise. There's a time to come learn about Him. There's a time to mingle with other people that know and love God the Father through the Son, Jesus. There's a chance to do that, and that fuels. So often it fuels our love for God to do that. He fuels our love through small groups of of other people that want to love and follow Jesus and the Father as well. He fuels our love through that. He fuels our love many times through one-on-one mentoring. We've seen that happen again and again. He fuels our love for, for him just by simply reading the book he wrote you because you read about how good he is and how gracious and how merciful and how holy and on and on and on. He fuels our love for him through that. And, and I could go on and on and on, but if you know Jesus, I would say this to you men. If you want to grow in love for God and you've not been to a Catalyst weekend, I would highly recommend you do a a Catalyst retreat for men. We've had 300 men in the last four and a half years have gone to a Catalyst weekend. We just finished a survey that we got back from them and and we did different ways to analyze their spiritual growth. And and 96% of the men, and some of them went on the weekend over four years ago, 96% 96% of the men said, said, now there's sustainable spiritual growth in my life because of that one weekend. Because of one weekend, in some cases even four years ago, there's this spiritual vibrancy in me that I have because of that weekend. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I would say, if you want to grow in love with God more, it would be like this. If I got all 300 of those men, lined them up in front of 
of the audience, of the crowd here, 288 would say, I, am, I love God more, I'm closer to Him because of that one weekend, even long ago. If you don't know God through Jesus yet, there's this massive promise of encouragement to you. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You may be sitting there right now thinking, I, I love my child. I've been doing everything I know how to do. And, and now you're telling me I missed the main thing. You've missed what God says the main thing is to teach them to love God. And, and for me to love God, and I don't even know God, here's this massive promise from God. He says, if you will seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. And you'll find him in some of the same places that followers of Jesus grow. You'll find him in a setting like this. So many times on a Sunday morning, it's a Sunday morning. I mean, someone surrenders their life to Jesus on a morning just like this. Or to be in a small group around other Christ followers, that it will happen there that, that someone will come to faith and follow Jesus. It'll be in one-on-one mentoring. Sometimes it'll be in serving Jesus that someone does. And I would say to you men that haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus, I would say this. We have had dozens and dozens of men of the 300 go to Catalyst that, that did not know Jesus Christ, and nearly all of them left the weekend knowing him and surrendered to him. Almost every single one. So if, as a dad, if you want to begin to love God and model that for your kids, I would urge you, check out a Catalyst weekend. When service is done, you can actually register in the lobby on the left-hand side when service is done, or you can register online. Your child will see the measure of love you have for God. I was, I was 30 years old. I was wrestling hard with whether I would live my life, continue living my life with myself as God of my life, or if I actually could believe enough that there was a God described in Scripture, that Jesus was the Son of God, died for my sins, rose from the dead. And the linchpin for me was this on that given night. I was thinking about my father, and I had seen him for 30 years, and I'd seen this deep, consistent, joyful, abandoned obedience to God for 30 straight years. It was a linchpin for me, for me to trust my life to Jesus and surrender to him because of the way my father loved God. I mean, that's the influence that a father can have upon a child, even an adult child, this consistent, joy-filled obedience. If you love God, your children will see you becoming more and more like Jesus. If you love God, there'll be times he'll, he'll call you into an obedience that is very costly, and it'll be in those times of obedience that you will most affect the life of your child. In those times above all else, if you love God, your children will see that love for God in you. You'll be modeling it for them. The way we train is we model first, second we instruct. We actually instruct, and if you have toddler, uh, toddler children or uh, preschool or even elementary age children, this is what I'd recommend to you. This is what I've seen work in our life and my life many others. You as a dad, uh, peruse the Christian bookstores consistently and find books that would be age-appropriate for your child and bring them home and read them with your child or read them to your child and talk about them. There was a long season. I did that with our boys. They kind of outgrew that season. Then we developed this, some devotion nights around suppers where we'd talk about God for a while. They hit a season as teenagers that they would complain about that, and they would tell us very clearly, 
This is not helping us. And we would say, that's fine, just trust us. Eventually, we think it probably will. But there were times they didn't like it, but we would do these devotional lives nights to, to teach into that with them. We decided really early on, although when we became parents, we weren't yet followers of Jesus. I was not a follower of Jesus. When I became a follower of Jesus, I decided I don't want to put Jesus in a box when I teach. I want to talk about Jesus casually all the time to our kids. So it wouldn't be just when we read a book together, just when there's a devotion time. It would just be in conversation. And long season, we were together at the dinner table consistently. That was a place where there's just conversation again and again. Watch for teaching moments as a dad. When they have questions or struggles, those can be great teaching moments. You can speak into those. If, they are, if they're adults, don't speak into their life as the authority. Like step alongside them as a peer and say, this is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. Can I share with you what I've experienced? When they have questions or struggles, it's a teaching moment. When God teaches you something, it's a teaching moment to tell them. Consistently to this day, I'll text or tell our two sons and our daughter-in-law, this is something God's teaching me now. This is a growth area in my life now. When you see God work, last weekend, Marie and I went to, to Oregon, really blessed to go to Oregon. Track and field is my favorite sport, and only once in my entire life had I ever seen the NCAA Outdoor Championships, and I saw them for the second time last week. It was a touch of heaven on earth, had this incredible time, but we didn't just see track because there are birds there, and I have a wife that loves birds, and so birds brought us out into creation, and we saw some spectacular waterfalls, and I forgot that there were even mountains for water to fall off of. Living around here, everything is so flat here. The highest waterfall I've seen is, is Marie's birdbath that water falls off of that about this far. And there were these 600-foot waterfalls, and we took pictures of those. We were on the coast, and there were these massive cliffs down to the ocean, and we took pictures of those. And we sent texts back. I sent texts back to our two sons and our daughter-in-law and said, this is the work of the Creator God. Can you believe the beauty he creates. Can you believe it? When you see God work on Friday night, Marie and I were at dinner with a couple, and we had this really very, very sweet young waitress that was serving us, and she began to come by our table more often than she needed to, and we kind of joked about that with her, and the last time she'd come by, uh, we joked about it, and so she turned to leave, and she said, I, I heard you talking about Jesus. I wanted to hear more about what you said. And so we asked her to turn around, so she did, and that led to a conversation. And before dinner was done, right at the table, she surrenders her life to Jesus. So there's this daughter of God that becomes a follower of Jesus, sins forgiven, new life launched, eternal address changed, all that. So the next morning, I texted each of our sons and our daughter-in-law, and I said, can you can you believe the love of God that there's this, there's this sweet young lady that somehow he's been pouring into and preparing for, for just a moment like this? Who knows how many years he's been shaping her life for this one encounter with him on this night? And, and we're at a, I tell them, we're at a restaurant we hadn't even planned to go to, and we end up there. There's this conversation. There's a fleeting word about Jesus, and, and only a great, great God of love would do this. It was, it was just a teaching moment to our grown sons and our grown daughter-in-law because we'd seen God do something. Just a chance to, to teach into their lives. Dads, you will need to repeat what you teach over 
and over again. As a staff here at church, and it's not because of you, because you're the one exception to this, because with you, you're the one exception. We would tell you something once, you'd always remember it. But because of everybody else except you around here, we say we have to tell people things seven times. If we say it seven times, they'll get it. If we say it seven times, they'll get it. If we say it seven times, they'll get it. You get it? Okay. If we say it again and again and again, well, at dads, with your kids, it feels like it's 70 times seven, or maybe more than that. There are things you'll have to say again and again and again and again, but don't give up. Don't quit. You'll have to repeat it often. And, and uh, so keep that in mind. Remember that. So we model, we instruct, and then one final thing, we discipline. And I'm using a definition for, dif- for discipline other than what you would expect. Most of us would think about discipline as being providing some kind of uncomfortable response to behavior to change a behavior, right? And that's very, very important. There's much in the Bible about that. When, when a child does the wrong thing, there should be discipline that's uncomfortable that will, will direct them to the right thing. But I'm speaking of discipline here with the definition being discipline is a helpful practice, a helpful practice. For example, the discipline of brushing one's teeth. That's a helpful practice. The discipline of exercising, it's a helpful practice. What I learned as a dad was the discipline of making church a priority. And it was a priority for me as a son of God. It was essential to me and Marie both. We realized for our lives to thrive, we, we had to be with the church on Sunday morning. We had to have the collective effort of worship. We had to have teaching, reminder. We had to be around other people that followed Jesus or pursued Jesus. We, we had to be around small group where we could have this iron sharpening iron. We had to have that. And so we knew for our sons, we knew that there would rapidly come the point that they would need to see other people that loved Jesus and followed Jesus and would speak about that other than ourselves. And we knew the only way to guarantee that would happen would be to say to them, you will be at church. And so for our sons, they were required to be at church every Sunday morning unless they were sick or traveling, and they'd be required to be at, at the age-appropriate group, like student ministry, for example. They'd be required of that. And, and there came a time in both of their lives where they said, we don't want to go. And, and I think this was what mattered. We said, we, we're not having you go to check a box, not having you go to do something religious. We're having you go because we believe the one thing that matters is that you come to a point to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we deeply understand the odds of that being true in your life will be for you to be in the community of faith. We deeply believe that. And and because we yearn for that for you, we give our life for that for you, then we'll have you there. You will be there. Sunday morning, you'll be in the appropriate age group. And then they got smarter as time went on, and they began to tell us, well, this is backfiring. Because you're making us go, you're making us hate God. We hate God. And so you should quit making us go. And, and we saw through all that, and we said, you, you could end up hating God. That's always a slight possibility. But we understand much more likely, if you have years around all these people that love God, and you see their life, and you see who they are, and you see how God is shaping them and changing them, the odds are so much greater. You will love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so this is just what we require of you. Now, when they got to be, both of them got to be juniors, I sat down with each of them one at a time, and I said, I I know you don't like the pastor of the church. I know, because that was me. 
So I said, you're off the hook. You don't have to go to, to this church. You can go to another church. But you have to go to a church, have to be part of a youth group and everything, but, but you have to be part of, you don't have to go to this church. And even when they were going to college, I think by then, they both were at a point, they valued it so much they would have gone regardless. But just to be sure, because when they turned 18, they said, legally, you can't make us do anything. Have you heard that? If you have kids that age? And they're right. Legally, we couldn't make them do anything. And so we acknowledge that you're right. We, we can't make you go to church anymore. But you're about to go off to college, and we're going to provide financial support for you. Just two, two criteria. We're paying for college, so we'll pay as long as you go to class and as long as you go to church. You don't have to go to church. You're 18. We can't make you, but that's fine. But if you quit going, there's no financial support. And, and, and now, um, by the grace of God, I mean, both of them love Jesus with abandon, love him with abandon. This is where this goes. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Dads, I need to say this to you. In this case, that's not a promise, but it's a very high probability. Proverbs is one place in Scripture where some of the Proverbs, very clearly God is giving them as probabilities, not as promises. I'll give you an example. In Proverbs 10, 4, it says, Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Okay, is that a promise? No, it's not. Okay, I know some lazy people have a lot more money than I have. I know some people work very hard that don't have much at all. But it's a probability, isn't it? Lazy people tend to have much less. Hardworking people tend to have much more. And, and so this proverb, 22.6, train up a child in the way he or she should go. And when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. It is a high, high probability. It is a high probability. Dads, what can you take away from this morning. You as a dad, what can you take away? Maybe for you, maybe it's to refocus on what God says matters most. Maybe it's this recalibration to say, I've, I've drifted or maybe I never got it. But this refocus on what matters most and to focus your influence on your child, whatever age they are, focus your influence upon what matters most. Love God and love people. Or maybe as a dad, maybe it's for you to realize, I need to model this differently. I need to fall more in love with God. Or maybe it's I need to know God through Jesus. I need to model this differently. Or maybe for you as a dad, it's I need to leverage teaching. There's still room for teaching. I need to leverage teaching with my, my child. Or maybe for you as a dad, it's to realize I need to put into play this discipline, this healthy practice of church. It's, it's not just me that loves God. There are a whole bunch of other people. And the influence will be substantial upon you, my son, or you, my daughter. What does God have for you to take away from this morning? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Dads, the perfect father has given to you one of his sons or daughters, or maybe more than one. It is an awesome, awesome privilege. I want to pray on your behalf and mine to God and thank him for that. Father in heaven, I, I'm blown away that you've chosen to, to trust us dads with your precious sons and daughters. But we thank you. I thank you that you've entrusted me with these two sons and, 
this daughter-in-law, I thank you. But I thank you on behalf of all the dads in this room of your grace, stunning grace to entrust your sons and daughters to us. And then, Father, I also, I confess for me, I confess the many, many times I fail as a father. And I, I confess on behalf of all the fathers here, there have been many times we collectively have failed. We confess that. We don't want to continue failing the same ways and the same frequency, Father. And so I ask for myself, and I ask on behalf of all these fathers in this room, for you to help us. Help us uh, grow as a father, and help us do this with increasing love for you, God, increasing love for people, and help us to become the best fathers that we could possibly be. And help us remember, Father, because I know there are many in this room, in fact, there are all of us in this room, we know we could have done better. There may be some in this room who are thinking, I have failed at every turn. Help us remember that as long as we have breath and our child has breath, it's not too late to influence. And help us take great hope and great excitement, great expectation in that. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.